Welcome to Scholars and Sense. It's the podcast that takes a deep dive into the issues of the day. We do so with thoughtful conversation, and we rise above the noise and talking points. With the help of my colleagues, we get to the heart of the matter. I'm Bill Bennett, alongside my co-hosts, Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Conrad, Victor, let's jump in. We got a lot of reaction to the two of you saying you were taking heart that we would win this in the end, that this current uh, split, the good guys will end up prevailing. The people will prevail, the sense of virtue and righteousness in the people. A lot of people are interested in wondering, how can you say that, given the gloomy state of things? Um, are we just getting too much gloomy state of things in the news, or is it that gloomy? Or, you know, are the, are the antibodies kicking in? I mean, is the American capacity for self-renewal beginning to take place? Why the optimism? Well, I think that one point is the one that I believe we all made, that we've got this now this fermentation and activity at the at the grassroots level. And my reference to the talk bill, you get these school boards meeting and uh, we have public meetings where the people who want to put in uh, CRT and so on are, are given a pretty rough ride and uh, um, various civic gatherings to complain about the rate of crime and the treatment of the police and things like that. So it's starting. And th- there is a little bit of uh, flaking off in parts of the media. I mean, Andrew Sullivan is a sort of a conservative, yeah. uh, a maverick conservative, but uh, but he was a terrible Trump hater. But uh, with Trump not there, he's one of those who satisfied himself that we've, we've got to now examine things and their merits. And he's a pretty severe critic of the regime. Uh, and I, I don't mean to single him out, but there are a number of, uh, a number of things like that that have happened. And, uh, you know, the Washington Post has criticized the administration's falsehoods about the southern border. And clearly in, in the places most affected by this a torrent of people pouring in over what the Homeland Sec- uh, Security Secretary tells us is a closed border. Uh, uh, these are big states like Texas, Arizona, even California, southern part of it. Uh, uh, there, there is a lot of concern. So you've got that. And then and then just the inexorable facts, I think we mentioned. I mean, you've, you've got a rising crime rate. You've got a rising rate of inflation. You've got a ter- terrible crime problem, a terrible immigration problem. And, and it's festering and and people don't, you know, people are getting concerned, I think. But look, I'm sitting in Canada. What the hell do I know? I haven't been in the U.S. for years, but that's my reading of the American media and my American friends. But am I am I wrong? No, I I would agree with Conrad. Uh, The data supports your view. When you look at these issues in the polls, whether it's critical race theory or worries about crime or inflation or the border, they all poll negatively for Joe Biden. There's the other thing is, uh, and then your mention of Andrew Sullivan, we could, Kevin Drum is a hardcore leftist. He's written something yes. comparable, and there's a lot yes. of them now. I think we're sort of getting into late stage Jacobinism that people are on the left are very worried that it's going to end and they're getting crazier. Today, there was an article in the Dallas Morning News that a group, a group of BLM activists are pressuring white liberal suburban uh, families not to have their children apply to the IB League because they want to get the uh, admission rates for African-American students way up, even though they're apparently on rumor yeah. well beyond already 12%. So what I'm getting, I think the revolution is starting to devour its own. And you can see that not just with these spontaneous uh, meetings 
at school board uprisings, but also in ratings. Um, we have the worst Olympic ratings we've ever had so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. And we had the same happen to the NBA championships and playoffs. The same thing happened to the Major League All-Star uh, game had fewer viewers than it did 40 years ago when there were 100, more American, 100 million more Americans. And the same thing with NFL, the same thing with the Grammys, the Tonys, the Oscars. Same thing with television and commercials. And, and of course, you can really tell it when they attack the messenger. They're after the Nielsen ratings now. CNN and MSNBC have collapsed uh, after Trump. And I think Tucker Carlson has more uh, listeners by far than both combined at that hour. So there's something going on. And I think it's it's snowballing and the left is acting is reacting in a way that's self-destructive. They're doubling down as they fear they're losing popular support. It's turning off enough. I mean, not watching enough uh, isn't engagement and action. Let me tell you an anecdote. Uh, Mrs. Bennett was with a group of uh, four Republican ladies, Bush types, and one of them is a nurse. And they were talking about this little school in Washington, or actually in Maryland, the three-year-olds. And the three-year-olds were asked, one of the women reported, what what are you today? Are you a boy or are you a girl? <clears throat> and they're asked this every day. And then, you know, more discussion follows. And then one of the other women volunteered that she's a nurse and she's giving these shots, these hormone shots to three and four year olds who have quote, made a choice uh, to become another sex. Okay. Mrs. Bennett is a tough customer, an activist. She's engaged. She's involved. She likes to take down signs in the neighborhood occasionally. Um, but um, the problem was the other four who were kind of neutered, nothing. Um, she said, isn't this crazy? I mean, what are you, a boy or a girl? What are you doing with these shots? Well, why are you doing that? Um, she was outraged. The others weren't. Now, they might turn it off, might not want to see it, might not want to hear it. But is that enough? Or do we need, do we need, do we need more engagement? Well, I think everyone is waiting now for the midterms. I, my suspicion is there's an, an immensely greater sentiment to take up the imagery used by Victor, uh, where I guess we're approaching Prairial, the Jacobins are, but we don't have a Robespierre, who is a, clearly the leader, and Biden is frequently disputed to be the leader. But but you, you have this welling sentiment that when the, the, the escape valve, the, uh, the, the safety valve that is available constitutionally does come up on the calendar in, in November of next year, that they, they are going to, at the very least, give a, a sharp rebuke to the extreme aspects of this administration. And, and in the meantime, it's not, a, it's not a society that is revolutionary. So it's not, I mean, there are some revolutionaries or, or self-nominated revolutionaries within it, but the great, the overwhelming majority of the American public will stick with the institutions as a method of changing public policy. But I, I think if the election uh, midterms were held uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, I, I think the, Re- the Republicans would make very serious gains. That will be a great legislative uh, victory. How much does that change the culture? Will that change Bank of America or the NBA or Major League Baseball? The, the, you have to wait for the presidential for that. We've been talking about the gradual decline of Joe Biden. And this last week, it was it was you couldn't hide it anymore. He. He can't finish a sentence when he's on his own. His town hall was an utter disaster. Yeah, you even Don Lemon couldn't make him look good. Yeah, and I couldn't. And then when you look to the critical race theory or these people, you read 
this week that Mr. Kendi is making $20,000 for a cons- con- consultation with his uh, re- woke kits. You read again, Ms. Quellars is owner of four homes, one in Topanga Canyon with a new $35,000 fence. I think the public is starting to see. And then when, you know, when you have people like Oprah and Meghan Markle and the Obamas, this is a much slicker, more grandiose, polished version of the 1990s of, you know, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton going to Toyota and saying, we're going to say you're racist unless you get to Operation Rainbow or something. Yeah. And, I think a lot of people are, are, are seeing it for what it is. The police this week in New York actually used force to break up Antifa, uh, illegal demonstrations and occupations. So I think a lot of people have come to the conclusion, whether it's the homeless issue, it's the violence, it's a rising crime rate, that this revolution on the left is unsustainable and it's starting to affect their own lives. And they're worried whether it's gas prices or inflation or 2 million people. You, you, I don't think a, a system can endure when 2 million people at the current rate will come across the border illegally in a 12 month period, none of whom have been vaccinated or tested for COVID at a time when Mr. Becerra is warning Americans they're going to go door to door to insist that everybody is vaccinated. People, uh, By the forward. way, th- that's another element in it. I mean, having ridden the, the COVID thing to victory, the Democrats are, are now are now about to be assaulted by it themselves because they've mismanaged it so badly. And especially they're unfit. They cackled all during the Trump administration. So when he left office, uh, there have now been more people who have died during the Biden presidency than during Trump. It's an unfair comparison, but it's their comparison. And that yes. was one of the, the, the metrics they used to damn Trump. And when you look back at the entire sordid COVID, all of the icons on the left haven't done well. Dr. Fauci, with that exchange with Rand Paul, was exposed as sort of, I, I hate to say it, but a sh- either a prevaricator or somebody who can't tell the truth or splits hairs and, and Rand Paul really dissected him on national TV. And then when you put everything in retrospect, the only thing that's really saved us is the Operation Warp Speed, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna and Pfizer that have some utility and efficacy, a lot actually from uh, even against the variant from getting us you know, very sick in a way that the three Chinese vaccinations are, have failed and the Russian vaccination is not very good. So we did pretty well with COVID despite all the rhetoric that it was a complete failure. And now we're seeing that it's coming back. And uh, here in California, we, we've had 3,000 cases the other day in Los Angeles. And we were told that Gavin Newsom's formula uh, was effective and it was over with. So Right, I so, think we're all in a process of reassessment of everything the public is, and they're waiting. Once they make up a mo- their mind, I don't think it's fifty-one forty-nine. They did that with Reagan. They did that with Obama. Once they decide something is what they want, it tilts pretty quickly. But do the institutions go with them? That is, corporations, the foundations, media, forget it, I guess. Universities, forget it, I guess. But uh, big tech, I mean, there's this whole alignment. So the people get excited, they get angry, they go to the school board meeting, vote the bastards out, bastards are voted out, a new bunch of people come in, but do the institutions keep going? Does Bank of America keep giving whatever it's giving, $100 million to Black Lives Matter? I, I don't think so. Not. I think that when you say institutions, Bill, there are, there are institutions, then there are institutions. You're never, right. as you said, you're never going to change academia. Right. But And maybe not Silicon Valley or the foundations. Right. But some of them, like Hollywood entertainment, professional sports, 
uh, the corporate boardroom, Wall Street, some in Silicon Valley. I think wokeism is best seen as sort of the commissar system, commissar system of the Soviet Union. They have an enormous drag. And I'd even go so far to suggest maybe that one of the reasons that the women's soccer team loses a game or why uh, professional sports don't seem as impressive that are uh some things don't work as well as that our economy is spending a lot of money and time on internal auditing, or maybe why the military can't come up and tell us what the plan is or was for Afghanistan is that they're auditing their own enlisted. So I think a lot of these people are going to come to the conclusion that when you're in a death struggle with the Chinese in a very dangerous world, that spending all this human and financial capital to audit your own is a real drag on productivity. And I think a lot of... Just talking to people in the corporate world, they're all terrified that if they're white males, they're going to lose board appointments. They're not going to be promoted. And they're suggesting that it's hurting the efficacy and the efficiency of these corporations. And So are they waking up? I think they're getting angry. A year ago, if I wrote something, maybe it's I would never get a, a response or an email or a phone call from a CEO, and now I do quite a lot. Well, even cowardly people, when they're cornered and feel themselves in danger, are capable of courage, and I, that's what we're getting to, I think. I mean, these people, I mean, you mentioned Bank of America, but a whole bunch of these big companies, you saw it very clearly in that whole business about uh, moving the all-star game and so forth. And, and the uh, voting reform in in Georgia, uh, they they just rolled over like poodles. But if the if the wave is coming from a different direction, they'll be no more brave resisting that than they have been uh, okay. resisting the woke movement. I mean, a coward's a coward, and he he yields to yeah, wherever but, the force. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. But, but back to the eighties, because my office. I remember Jesse Jackson called me, and he said, "Unless you know we get this grant, we're going to occupy your office." I said, come ahead. He came. We called the police. They were removed. Um, People don't worry about, you know, um, conservative Americans, despite what you hear about January 6th. They really don't worry about corporate boardrooms being occupied by these folks from, you know, Arkansas and Mississippi and and, uh, and, you know, the red states, they don't worry about that. They and do you know, but all, all of these companies are to some degree service companies, Bill. I've got to worry about the public. They're all service okay. companies. I mean, a bank can't just dismiss the opinion of the majority of the whole country. Well, what happened with Major League Baseball? I mean, I didn't realize what you said. I've been asking that did it have a smaller audience for, for the all-star. Oh, their all-star was the worst since 1988. 1988. Were, were there empty seats, uh, Victor? What? At the, were there empty seats? I don't think yeah, so. Uh, yeah, but the biggest hit was in the viewership. People just yeah. tuned it out. And this is a time when our freeways are crowded, our restaurants are packed. There's huge pent-up demand for entertainment. Getting and baseball and basketball and football and commercials and sitcoms and dramas had all told us that 2021 summer was going to be the big demand something that's going on with the airlines i I flew recently yesterday or day before yesterday and it's packed every plane is full the airports but this is not happening with these woke these woke institutions and i think they're going to understand that they have a bottom line as well and what i mean is that people of the middle class do not want to be told ad nauseum by wealthy elite whites Latinos, Blacks, that you on that forklift in Bakersfield or you in that lathe uh, assembly 
plant in Michigan are responsible for my unhappiness because you you exude systemic racism. They just don't want to hear that. Because I think true. there's a limit to how much they'll take these athletes who make millions for short work years and short work weeks within the work year, uh, you know, making a, a very demonstrative statement of, uh, if not contempt, at least a reproach for everything that the flag of the national anthem stand for. I mean, it, it would be hard enough to take it from some pitiful, penniless person who was sort of a victim of society, but, yeah. but it's very hard to take it from rich athletes putting on a masquerade like this, I think. Or how right. about Oprah from her $90 million Montecito estate Deloitte. talking to Meghan Markle from her $15 million estate. I think that's the fatal, the fatal weakness in the entire woke movement. It's a top-down, elite-driven... Uh, bicoastal phenomenon and it, it's it's the problem with it is not race it's class and they don't want to talk about class but that's why i think the hispanic vote could be 45 percent uh in the congressional uh, elections because they feel this is not a racial issue it's a class 45 percent republican you mean yeah i do that that would be a, a, a terrible blow to the democrats here right, in California, so people, the, they can't afford electricity. They can't afford the gasoline. We're in a drought. They want to know why we didn't build a reservoir. The freeways are decrepit. And when you talk to people, the first thing they say is we pay the highest income, the highest sales tax, the highest gas tax. And the more taxes we pay, the worse everything gets. And when you get on immigration, second or third generation Mexican-American person says, my mother's on a dialysis clinic. She can't get in for the first time. It's crowded with people from southern Mexico. Or Central America. Uh, my children can't have invats placement tests. We have remedial. Uh, there's people in our neighborhood that attack people who don't speak Spanish, uh, call them gringos. So there's a lot of tensions. I don't think okay. the Mexican American community is for, for open borders at all. Newsom is in trouble. I mean, he was just so far ahead, but maybe it yeah. was the recent resurgence of COVID. But the latest poll had him only 47 to 43%. Yes, it's closed rapidly. And Larry Elder, who won his court case, suddenly is leading the Republican pack at 16%. If they could, if they could combine behind him, then he could be an articulate spokesman. Doesn't have much time. Mid-September is the election. Uh, I think they, could, it, they, they have a, sh- a shot. How's it work? Is there, are there two? Is it first yes or no on the recall and then an election? That's right. Okay, I thought so. So on the final polling, it'll be only Newsom and whoever the Republican. Well, if he's recalled, if he's not recalled, no, there's no Republican. In the then there's, vote, there's right? it doesn't matter. Just, you just you vote two twice to recall and then to who would replace him. Right. right. Who replace him vote won't matter if he's not recalled. Yeah. yeah. So all right, let's assume then the people are fighting back and they will come to their senses. And 2022, we'll see a change in the House at least. Uh, maybe Senate, uh, who knows? Um, now, how does that, how much does that matter compared to, excuse another uh, anecdote from my life here. Uh, I draw a lot from this, but here I am in North Carolina and people are still in shock over the fact that uh, a company, the WH Group, sounds like White House, but it's actually the Shung Wai Group, bought Smithfield Ham. There ain't no more American product here in North Carolina than Smithfield ham and pork. Uh, and um, I guess they got those bad pigs in China, which they export and poison people. But uh, they bought Smithfield ham and they're buying all sorts of things. Uh, and they're buying up resources 
in um, taking the resources in Africa, the minerals. And, um, you know, China's on the move. And no matter how sensible we are or become, um, we're still going to have a very formidable challenge with China. And is it, uh, is it too much? Did you guys see that ad with the Russian recruiting ad versus the American recruiting ad? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's extraordinary. Um, you know, the Russian recruiting ad, all business, bang, bang, you know, loading the rifle, getting in the plane, jumping out of the plane. And the American recruiting ad, you know, Heather was born to two mommies. She marries a girl and she decides to join the army. And here she is. What does that tell us? Remember when uh, General Austin, the Secretary <laughs> of Defense, said that when he was pressed on the woke re-education yeah. and auditing the ranks, he said, well, we're going to have a military that looks like America and it functions like America. And the first thing I thought was, okay, now that we have both genders, sexes in the military, and it's a multiracial that reflects America. In Afghanistan, 85% of the dead, the 2,300 dead, were white males, largely from the middle and lower classes. In Iraq, it was 82%. Is, are we going to go down that tribal road where somebody says, now, wait a minute, General Austin, We've got to pull all of our white male troops out because their proportion of the population is only 35% uh, white males. And they are dying at a rate of 85. And that shows that there's some endemic systemic prejudice going on that you have to ferret out. And we need, cons- we need educators and we need uh, counselors to find. That's where this all ends up is each tribe then says, well, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do this unless it's proportionally representative. So that was very dangerous what he said. And, you know, one of the weaknesses of the Soviet and even the Nazi system on the battlefield was they had enormous overhead in indoctrination and political control. Everybody thinks it helped morale, but it might have at the battlefield level, but not at the strategic level. Yeah. Not at the strategic yeah. even Remember even- when, the, uh, when the draft was abandoned, the great fear was we were we weren't going to have any more white men or or women in the armed forces, or a very small number, and that didn't happen. No, and there and if you were a Chinese strategist and you said right. what would be your dream come true, you would say I want to target these multi generational families from rural America and south of the Metton Dixon land of the lower middle classes that like. Maybe it's the Scotch-Irish traditions. I don't know. But they love to join the military. They're very brave. They're the best soldiers in the world. And I want to go after them. And I want to make sure that we don't have too many of them in the military, even though they're dying at more than double their rates of the population in all of our wars. Even Vietnam, they were overrepresented. And I don't know. It's just insane for, for this to happen when there's no evidence that any of these families that produce these wonderful soldiers are anything but patriotic and loyal and have a, a superb record, yet we're supposed to think they're capital rioters every day of the week. It's it's really sad. I think that the uh, rot has not gone that far, though, Victor. I mean, I think everything that you've said would be resolved with a change of administration in three years, and um, or three and a half years, and, 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 a, and a, a thoughtful, fair cull of the senior officers. I mean, a real sweep through. But Conrad, I, think that's, I think that's what Obama did to, yeah. to, to get us this politicized military. And let I think me, let me just give you do some it again. Name. I'll just say some names of our, and these are people who are very patriotic, very skilled, and they're considered the icons of our current retired military. General Milley, uh, Admiral uh, 
the chief of naval operations, General Mattis, General McChrystal, General McCaffrey, Admiral Raven, uh, Admiral Hayden. I could go on, but these are the people who have either yeah. said yeah. that we need critical race theory in the military or we need to read Kindy or in the case of the retired that our commander in chief is a Nazi or he's Mussolini or he has to be removed sooner or later. So the, I think what we're really looking at is that the New York Washington nexus, that culture of media, great wealth, corporate boardships has so changed uh, the profile of those that go in the FBI at the top level, the CIA, the military, that these institutions, not at, at your right, Conrad, not at the mid-level or say colonel and below, but at the very top level, these people know that to make big money and get into the revolving door, you have to be woke. And they're yep. making the necessary adjustments. And the, these institutions are not, we're not, they're not conservative anymore. They're not just liberal anymore. They are actively woke and they want to weigh in and opine on every issue in virtue signal and engage in performance art uh, sanctimonious. The, 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 the next commander in chief has got to simply change that. You know, he's got to get people but, who aren't that way motivated. But you'd have to be said, somebody and say, I, I'll change it, but when I'm out of here, I'm not going to make $5 million in stock sure. options. I'm done. All right. You, you said three and a half years, Conrad, um, and I think you properly described the upper echelons, uh, Victor. Well, but China, do we have three and a half years, China, given the way the way they're they're going, buying up everything? I wrote a piece in American Greatness today, and you know they have some problems. There are more smokers in China than there are almost as many smokers as there are Americans. They have the. It, Really, the oldest population in, in 30 years, their average age is going to be 10 years older than we are. And they're westernizing their health system. So they're going to have a huge overhead in health and, and maturity issues. They have a population density five times ours. So a natural disaster really hurts them. Everybody talks about their excellence in weapons. We have 20 times the amount of nuclear weapons than China does. Uh, in, in terms of our economy, if you measure it in traditional gauges of GDP, uh, 330 million Americans produce, uh, China, put it this way, 1.5 billion Chinese only produce 60% at, in our decline of Americans, 330 Americans. You look at the vaccines, their vaccine was a total, all three of them seem to be not only somewhat dangerous, but not very useful. So I know that they're catching fast, their economy is growing, but boy, we produce five times the natural okay. gas, three times about oil. Well, they they have at, no resources. I mean, it's a poor no. country in resources. They have oil, and, some oil, but not like we do. And so I think they, we, uh, and, and they have no institutions that are respected. I mean, we're sitting here discussing the shortcomings of major American institutions, but in terms of uh, how, how do we fine tune them or how does the country fine tune them so that they the the um, what we're objecting to is addressed but nobody in china has any faith in anything except up to a point as is usual in in such countries uh the armed forces i think a good i think that's right a good simile i think is something around 1939 with the japanese greater east asia coast prosperity sphere in every category of weaponry fighter craft torpedoes destroyers they were way ahead of us and we were still inert with New Deal socialism that 
really hadn't unleashed capitalism that would happen in a, in a year or two. And, you know, we had 25% of our G, of our industrial capacity was idle in 1938 and 39, but everybody was depressed. People went over to Italy. They went over to Germany. They went over to Japan. They came back and said, these are what command economies can do. They didn't suffer the depression. Everything is new. There's a quarter million Japanese engineers studying in, in Britain, nautical engineer, et cetera, et cetera. And then, by 1945, Roosevelt sort of unleashed capitalism in a way he, nobody thought he would. And we had a GDP larger than all of the combatants on both sides put together yep. by 1945. Yep. Yep. So right. if we want to, we have the ability to, de- to defeat China in whatever sphere we gauge, but not if we go down this anti-meritocratic and, and woke nonsense. By the way, Vic, just as a historical matter. I think he did a much better job in the 30s than he's generally credited with, even by pro-Roosevelt historians. Those New Deal workfare participants were just as much employed people as the conscripted masses of, of Europe were. I mean, a guy drafted into the German army or defense production in Britain was no more a, a genuine employed person than a guy, you know, building the Triborough Bridge or something like that. My point, Conrad, was when he called in people like William Knudsen and Henry Kaiser and Henry Ford, and he was no socialist, and he gave them latitude that nobody in Germany or Russia or Japan could even imagine the latitude they had to profit and become efficient. And nobody thought he, he said, you know, Dr. War now has taken over from Dr. New Deal. And he, nobody expected that he would do that. Yep. It was brilliant, and he was—he gets credit for the an- amazing economic output of the United yeah. States. Well, and, and and the war, and those German generals said, "Where are these tanks coming from?" Yeah, uh, the production was amazing out of Detroit. But I asked you a different question. Um, okay, the Chinese are weaker than us on a lot of critical points. Can they? Not to be sensationalistic, but we had the Wuhan. Could uh, fifty? Uh, really able Chinese scientists develop uh, a virus now that could uh, kill us, kill the globe, kill a lot of the globe. Could, couldn't they do that? Doesn't seem to be so far-fetched. Well, their attitude toward getting caught with a leak, I think, is very instructive because it's not quite wink and nod, but it's sort of, well, we're going to, you know, make a half-hearted air effort to say it came from Fort Dix or it came from a bat or a pangolin. But I think the subtext of all this is we really, really, really didn't do it. And we really, really, really wouldn't want it to ever happen again. And we'll really, really try our best that this never happens again. And in the process of those denials and superficial efforts to be helpful, they're really saying to us, we have a deterrent that we didn't, that you didn't expect. So I think there's a lot of people in the United States that are frantically not just looking at vaccines, but coronavirus, uh, pharmaceuticals, anything, because they're not sure this is the end of it, the Rightly end of the, so, leak, right? the leaks. Rightly so. I mean, they, yeah, could, they, absolutely. Could do a, they could do a count, Victor, of the things you said. Okay, we're weak there, we're weaker there, we're weaker there. But we can develop this and kill a hell of a lot of people, a hell of a lot of Americans. I, I think when you, what you said, though, the way you formulated your question, Bill, if it's a matter of them developing a virus that they then deliberately inflict upon yep. the world that, yep. that literally kills huge, I, I don't mean just huge numbers in absolute terms, but in percentage terms, I mean, half the, something like 100 years ago, where we, we, we lost a much greater percentage of people yep. with the world, that's Spanish flu. Uh, that, I, I, I have to agree with Victor. I think the 
they're quite self-conscious about being caught. And I, I, I take as, and I may be mistaken, so I don't know much about public health administration, but the, the WHO, despite the outrageous performance for the last few years, has started to waffle a bit and criticize China, which tells me that the, you know, the world, is, including the developing world, uh, where it's really starting to hit hard in a lot of places, is not thrilled with China's performance here. And, and so even China has to pay some attention to their popularity level, it seems to me. It really? Oh. I mean, that's the, that's the Biden doctrine. They're not going to do this stuff because they don't want to be embarrassed. I don't I, think they give a damn. I, I think they care if it's everywhere. I don't think they care if it's the United States. They take that as just indi- indicative of how, what a great victory they've had, which they have had, unfortunately. But if, if you get, uh, you know, all of these countries that, that, that they tend to lay their belt and road through and so on, all saying, you know, what what are you doing, China? You've infected the world by your own recklessness and negligence. I, I don't think I, I, that's not the Biden. Really? And I think the Chinese would not like that. Whose opinion would they worry about? The French? No, <laughs> but they say India. And uh, and of course, they're not friendly with India. Russia, especially, I'd say. I mean, uh, and and all these countries in Africa oh. sort of sweep around where they're buying everything up in the middle of Africa, you know, Nigeria, and so yeah, on. I think sure. that, that would bother. Okay. I think the first right. the first phase reaction to all this they're worried about in the sense that some of the Belt and Road clients, because of the damage to the economy from the lockdowns, are defaulting on the payments. The world seems to, in polls, blame China more than any other country for the virus. They've taken a big hit. <laughs> But the second phase is even scarier. It's scarier. It's not salutary. I think they almost think, well, what could be worse than being blamed for creating a world pandemic that destroyed the global economy for a year and a half and killed millions of people? In comparison to that, what would the world say if we just woke up one morning and we were attacking Taiwan? Would it be that much worse than being blamed for the epidemic? And by that, I mean, I think they feel that once they get over the shame to the degree they had any and the culpability and the false denials, they're sort of, they feel sort of liberated and they feel yeah, sort but, of like if, they need our stuff and we are not going to apologize for any laxity. And you know what? We're liberated now. And you, you responded very weakly. Your magnanimity toward us was not reciprocated. And uh, we feel it's weakness, not something to be reciprocated with so, kindness. Yeah. But the response, the response to, um, to, to the coronavirus is it, it, not as, at all like what should be the response to an attack on Taiwan. If they actually attack Taiwan, that is a serious military undertaking. And, uh, you know, the United States successive administrations have always been a bit coy about what they would do if Taiwan was attacked. And I accept it's not easy to mobilize confidence that Biden would, would, uh, would pull himself together and use American military strength especially as we have now senior officers saying that, that uh, in fact, the Chinese are a greater local power than the U.S. is. But if they actually attack Taiwan, as you know, that, that was, that's a serious business. But if the U.S. intervened at all, they would lose that operation. But Conrad, you know that... Who would lose? I'm not sure. I think up until 15 years ago, U.S. strategic doctrine was tactical deterrence. And by that, I mean, yes, if they tried to storm and they could, they're not very good with amphibious warfare or they wouldn't dare 
have uh, even attempt to take out a carrier in the South China Sea. But I think our doctrine has changed now. I think that while they're not a blue water Navy, the idea that sending two $15 billion carriers into that narrow strait, given their capability with shore to ship missiles, drones, et cetera, et cetera. I think most people in the military think right now that if they decide to take Taiwan, tactically, we cannot stop them. We can give them a good fight. We can make them pay. Taiwan can make them pay. But ultimately, Taiwan's security and existence depends on the New York, the America and the United States nuclear deterrent. And I don't think the American people have been apprised of that. And if we wake up and there's a huge air battle over Taiwan and missiles are falling and they've taken out ships and some American politician says, look, the only way we're going to stop these guys from doing this to Taiwan and then to Japan and then is to warn them that we have overwhelming nuclear uh, preponderance of force. I don't think the American people are willing to get into that level, even though the Chinese would probably back down. Victor, I'm getting the uh into an area where I'm, I admit I'm, I'm on thin ice here, but uh, uh, according to my reading of it, I mean, it's 120 miles wide. It's a great deal wider than yeah. the, the trip from Britain to Normandy uh, when, when Eisenhower had, what, 12,000 planes and 5,000 ships in absolute superiority. Uh, and and um, here, you, the Taiwan has an army of half a million. They have a lot of tanks. They're well fortified in the areas that would be likely landing areas, as I understand it. Uh, they themselves would not be able to match uh, the People's Republic in the air. But with any infusion of American planes, they could. That doesn't mean putting Nimitz-class carriers right into the Formosa Straits. It means you know providing air cover from further back. And and and, and yeah. meanwhile, how do the Chinese get what would at least be a million people they would need, a million men to land on Taiwan? It's just getting them there. They they they're not going to be able to parachute them. And shipping that many men across 120 miles in the in the teeth of the Seventh Fleet. It's it's not like falling off a lot. No, they need air and naval superiority, but they have an enormous... I mean, they're starting to militarize the Spratly Islands, which they said they wouldn't do. They said they were just... And when they put missile... I mean, we're not talking about a single missile that is launched to take out a carrier. We're talking 10 to 20,000 three-foot-long ship-to-shore missiles that go 12 inches above the, the ocean and can go right through the hull of a carrier at night. And you and they cannot stop that. Everybody knows they cannot stop No, you've stop got to use the carriers back, I think. I agree with that. Whatever the carriers, do you guys think that Biden would uh, protect Taiwan? I don't. Uh, I, I have to say I have no confidence that he would, and okay. I have no confidence that anyone around him would recommend it. Okay, so, and how would the American people, you know, short of a conflict, and the conflict, rockets and, and, um, and bombs and, and body count would alert the American people, but short of that, Biden doesn't act, but the American people rue the loss of uh, Taiwan and really that much more than the loss of Afghanistan? I so. Yes, I would say a lot more than Afghanistan. They would. Yeah, I, I would agree with Conrad. One thing about Trump, Trump was not isolation. He was the Jacksonian. So when he bombed the proverbial crap out of ISIS or he wanted to get tough with Iran, all the polls show that American people backed him on those if it was retaliatory and conventional. Yeah, but if it, that assumes he acts. But yeah. you guys both said you didn't think he would. So if he doesn't, they just go in and take time. Well, why I say that is, what do you make when you see the way that they dress down our people in Alaska and Anchorage? Or when yeah. you see Secretary of State Blinken asking the U.N. to come in 
and adjudicate yeah. whether charges of racism against are fair or not, given the composition of these commissions at the UN, it's it's not encouraging, is it? I agree with, with what you're implying, that I, I don't have any confidence Biden would do anything. He'd, he'd half and puff and uh, look, it would be embarrassing. But And I don't think anyone around there would be saying to him, look, Mr. President, you've got to act here. Uh, but on the other hand, once it had happened, and the, there was this this horrible agony of the extinction of Taiwan, a sort of Warsaw ghetto suppression uh, uh, or the Warsaw uprising suppression of the Far East with, with pitiful messages coming out of Taipei as, a, uh, as the country was stamped out. I think the American public would have an, an enormous feeling of revulsion and, 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 and would really punish the appeasers. They're not acting, uh, they're not reacting much to the Uyghurs and we're seeing the slaughter of Afghan, uh, the Afghan people now on a daily basis. We're not yeah. talking just about Taiwan. If they were to go into Taiwan and we did not stop it, I think Australia, Japan, South Korea would have an existential choice. They'd either have to go nuclear immediately. They probably could go nuclear within a year. Or they would have to make accommodations with it and become Finland, Finlandized by the Chinese. They wouldn't have a choice because they in, know in that India and Japan won't be Finlandized. Neither will Australia. I, I can't speak for the Philippines. Well, then Thailand, they'd have to be. The, I think they'd have to go nuclear. Yeah, well, but that's what we're going to get anyway. I think Iran is bringing that on. And, and yes. I will say that I'm changing the subject slightly, but I will say this one thing for Iran: they have pointed out what absolute hypocrisy the nuclear regime in the world is. It's a, a very small number of countries trying to discourage anyone else from from having what they already have and and uh, I, I, I think whatever happens in Taiwan there's a good chance that in 30 years there'll be 40 or 50 nuclear power because I don't I, worry I, about I don't worry about them as long as they have stable governments that are constitutional yeah. no I agree Victor they go nuclear those countries any within a year but Taiwan is still belongs to China and yeah. not a lot I think of we also have to remember that Strategically, the United States is in a much better position. We have no major North or South American rival, no nuclear power in the Western Hemisphere. That's not anybody in the West that has nuclear weapons is friendly to the United States, India, the UK, France, Pakistan, Russia are wild cards. But look at China. Around its borders, it's got South Korea, it's got Japan, it's got unstable North Korea and Afghanistan, it's got nuclear Russia, nuclear India, nuclear Pakistan, and it's got the Western nuclear arsenal pointed at it. And so I don't see that its strategic position is so sound if it starts to go into... I think I, I do think there's going to be a reaction. I think they can pull it off, and they may try to pull it off if Biden gives any more signals that he wouldn't do anything. But it would be a disaster for them in long term, I think, if the United States decides to make a stand for Taiwan. Was it Bismarck said, help me, guys, you remember? So, but I, I've got to face what uh, Russia and, and France and the Americans just have fish right <laughs> on, the, yeah. on, on their borders. Both borders is just fish. It's an easier, it's an easier run. Um, OK. All right. I, still, I, I wish I were persuaded that uh, the fall of Taiwan would be consequential in terms of the reaction of the American people. Uh, I'm not. I'm not convinced it would be any more than the fall of Afghanistan is, where we, you know, we had troops for a long time, and I, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I see. I see the difference. There are obvious differences. But if Biden doesn't act, if he acts, then you know, then we're in a war, 
and people will say, okay, let's win the war and this matters. But if we're not, I think we just got to go, well, that was too bad. That's my worry. That's my worry. Yeah. Um, we'll see. All right. Um, other thoughts? One thing to remember is that we have a long history with China militarily, not after being an ally of them. When they invaded in November and December of 1950 and overran North Korea and got all the way, and we took Saigon. Uh, so when when we, we when we appointed Ridgeway and he came in in December, for, we we took we took uh, we took Seoul fourth time it exchanged hands by I think it was early April. But what's people forgot about the Korean War, and we know from the Chinese archives that American error and artillery power killed. It was tragic over a million Chinese soldiers. It was yeah. one of the worst slaughters in yeah. modern military history, and. We know that because when they were asked after the Vietnam War, well, why didn't you intervene? You could have intervened and helped the North Koreans, yeah. the United States. And they said we had we had taken enormous losses from U.S. Yeah. firepower yeah, in the Korean War. So point. I think they are they have a history of knowing that the United States has conventional power. It's not going to be a jungle war like Afghan, uh, Vietnam or a asymmetrical war like a, a Baghdad or Afghanistan. It would be something more like the first Gulf War, where the, the environment would cater to American strength. As I said, trying to put a million men across 120 miles in the teeth of the kind of uh, yep. response they would get, it, it, they're going to lose. It, I, I go back to Mr. Churchill's comment when he said, we're still awaiting the long-promised invasion, and so are the mm-hmm. fishes. I mean, the fish will get plenty to eat on that mission. But I just say in passing that while he was wrong to uh, publicly contradict the president, MacArthur was right strategically. We could have got rid of North Korea with with just another six months fighting instead of accepting a a, a standstill, I think. That was a decision Matthew Ridgway in the Joint Chiefs said. Ridgway said, I can do it, but I'm afraid as I go northward, public support will abandon us as it did in 1950. One of the reasons I bring up Afghanistan, Taiwan, other things, is the media, and I don't mean here just the left, but I think conservative media as well, uh, turn it on. And we are so obsessed and fixated with um, domestic issues, you know, crime, uh, CRT, uh, you know, uh, uh, the border. But aren't the public sick of all that? Don't most Americans, I mean, all these... No, they're old, sick of old. it, but, the, but, but attention must be paid. And meanwhile, you know, we don't pay much attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. Because, uh, I mean, again, if you were a Chinese strategist, not only would you want to teach your kids math while Americans are, are teaching CRT, you'd want them obsessed with their own, you know, problems there at home. Meanwhile, Belt and Road, I mean, Belt and Road just got a, a nice uh, free pass here with the... Uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, right? That makes it easier for them to go through. We don't have a presence there now in that part of the world. So anyway, just the the general neglect of foreign policy because we're so obsessed with what's going on at home. Not that we shouldn't be uh, because it's a, a horrible business, but uh, we can't forget the rest of the world. Uh, this comes to nothing except to regret, that's all. Well, am I correct, uh, just segueing into what you said, that the prime minister of iraq is in washington now and he is told biden that they they can they should pull all their forces out of iraq Have we got a bit of a domino theory going on here yeah I, I don't know yes good question i don't know well we're in we're sort of like the british i think in 1946 conrad we're retrenching but the difference is there's no other western power to take up the slack but us 
Yeah, but, uh, but also there there is also the fact that in fairness, they, I mean, I don't want to be unkind here, but uh, the uh, occupation of Iraq, the, about the last objective it would have had would would have been to amplify the influence of Iran over Iraq, and that is precisely what's happened. I mean, yeah. I, I don't buy the line that the that um, the the um, Iranian have direct control over the 60% of Iraqis who are in the same branch of Islam as they are. But uh, obviously, Iran has a great deal of influence in Iraq, and, and it, it does make one wonder whether the whole effort was uh, uh, remotely justifiable. And, uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't think that's the case with Afghanistan. There's good reason okay. to go to Afghanistan. That opens up a lot of questions. Let's leave it there. And uh, Great. Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you. That does it for today's show. Want to join the discussion? Email this show at scholarsandsensepodcast at gmail.com. Share the show with your family and friends. Subscribe, rate, review. For Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hansen, I am Bill Bennett, and we'll talk again soon.